1: Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today I'm talking with Michelle Steinke-Baumcard. Michelle is the co-founder of My One Fit Life, One Fit Widow, and the Live the List nonprofit. We'll talk more about all of those. After losing her late husband in 2009, fitness became her lifestyle and her profession. Her personal experience showed how useful exercise and endorphins can be, especially for grief and trauma. Michelle started as a coach at the gym, then founded My One Fit Life, a coaching portable with over 2,000 members. Her dream is to help as many people as possible find stress relief and renewal through health and fitness. Her Live the List nonprofit helps the widowed live out their dreams to make deliberate steps. Michelle's been featured in Fitness Magazine, Shape Magazine, Woman's World Magazine, and is a regular, regular contributor to the Huffington Post, where she writes on both grief and fitness issues. Her new book, Healthy Healing, released by HarperCollins in October 2017, just a month and some ago, is an Amazon bestseller and is helping people look at healing in an entirely new way. Welcome, Michelle.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having
1: me. I'm happy to have you. I think it's it's such an important thing you're doing and talking about, and I'm sure it's going to be useful to people. I wanted to just start by sharing the subtitle of the, of the book, uh, which really, uh, throughout, I kept referring back to the subtitle because it seems at the heart of everything you're talking about, A Guide to Working Out Grief Using the Power of Exercise and Endorphins. Yes. And I know that may be counterintuitive, maybe not entirely for people in deep grief, but um, possibly for people imagining grief, you know, the idea that that would be a a time to start um, Mm -hmm. working with your body. Um, But maybe you can start by telling how that, uh, telling the listeners how that unfolded for you.
2: Yeah, so, you know, like so many other people, life hit me hard in my late 20s and 30s. You know, I was working a corporate job. I was a young mother of two, you know, essentially babies. I was a wife, and I was the person who was so attuned to everybody else in my life. I was paying so much attention to what everyone else needed, I'd forgotten about me. So I really lost track of myself. I'd become very unhealthy, very unfit, and I noticed so many things going south in my life. Um, I, w- I felt like I wasn't as good of a mother as I wanted to be. Uh, I wasn't as good at my job as I wanted to be, and a wife, and all the other things. And I certainly wasn't uh, a good me. So I really kind of hit this rock bottom moment, and I decided, I've got to take my life back. And I know one way I can take my life back is starting to pay attention to my health and fitness. So I kind of threw myself into that, uh, not really knowing what the future obviously would hold for me, and I was maybe eight weeks into a really good exercise routine when my late husband was killed in a plane crash, and my kids were one and two at the time, and typically before that happened in my life, anything would derail me from my fitness. I mean, I joke all the time that I could stub my toe wrong, and (laughs) I would quit a (laughs) fitness program, but uh, for some reason, everything in my being—and I say this all the time—but I could hear in my own being, "Don't quit on your fitness. It's really, really important." So I didn't.
1: You know, that's uh, when I was reading about it, and and just, uh, uh, of course, always with my guests, uh, there's something that makes me reflect on my own experiences of grief. And, yeah. and and the you know now hundreds of people that i've interviewed who've experienced grief and what i notice is that for a lot of people whatever it is that they feel uh they need to do they need to do it a lot i mean you know it's 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 uh for me it was i i had to put my hands in dirt i had to sing songs you know but for yeah. really months and months and months i just had to do those things every day there was Virtually no issue with motivation. In, it, was, it was like I was drowning and there was a lifeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, motivation wasn't necessarily uh, even how I would have talked about it then.
2: Right. Yeah, no, I think there, I tell people all the time, fitness doesn't have to be the one thing you go to. There's so many different outlets we can go to that people will find solace in, but I, I do know it's super powerful to move your body it, however you're moving it, whether it's organized fitness, whether it's gardening, whether it's walking, whether it's hiking, uh, and being outside in nature is super healing and super cathartic. So I think there's just a connection to all these things and it's that metaphorical process of moving your life forward one step at a time, one foot in front of the other, no matter how you're doing it. Uh, one
1: thing I did appreciate very much about your book is that there was no sense that we were, uh, in reading it, supposed to be trying to, I guess, get rid of grief or um, mm-hmm. not feel it. And if anything. Um, I, I imagine that exercise both gave you the resources to grieve and uh, and maybe even invited it because I know when I breathe, this is part of why singing works for me, because you can't sing and and not breathe. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I sing, everything kind of opens up. Uh, yeah. But I imagine that could be overwhelming for some people. Have you encountered that with the people that you work with?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, no, I will get emails and, and notes from my clients on our private pages saying, you know, I went on a long run, and I can't believe how bad I cried. I can't believe what came to the surface for me. And it really is. I mean, there, there's no way around our grief. We have to go through our grief. But um, I think it's cathartic, and it's healthy to bring it up in these, in these ways that move you forward. And, uh, and you can work within that. But the great thing about fitness, is when you go for a run or you lift weights or you do whatever it is that makes you feel good, you get empowered. And that empowerment, for me, I always say, you know, I would go home from a training session and I could survive being a solo mom and a grieving widow for one more day. And then I had to go back to the well and I had to refresh it. I had to do it again.
1: So, um, you know, you're you're a convincing advocate because... Your husband died i'm as, I'm assuming that changed your um, financial situation pretty in some way mm-hmm. um, uh, I'm sure that it it was um, suddenly a lot harder to parent <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I had a two and a half year old. One of my kids was two and a half when my wife died, so I have some sense. But you had a one and two year old. That's right. That's quite profound. And you had no. I had a lot of preparation, um, and you didn't have that. So I imagine that got harder. Uh, uh-huh. I'm guessing it was pretty hard to do your job. Um, and yet somehow you worked this in you say you had to but how did you actually do that you know sort of time wise and energy wise you uh, did you have an incredible community who you know came over every day and said go go or how
2: yes. did, how did yeah it no happen? i'm the first to admit that i'm abundantly blessed in the community department i have friends that never left my side and are still by my side today and they recognized immediately how powerful fitness was for me and how it saved me day in and day out. So I had a lot of help. I have an incredible mother-in-law who um, never left my side and again is still by my side today and she helped a lot with the kids and they knew it's what I needed. Now from an energy perspective I made the connection very early on to the days when I trained and the days that I didn't and I could see the correlation um, between my mood, my energy level, my ability to, to stand up and say I will survive this and I will thrive as well. And um, there, the days I didn't go, uh, I would start to feel like I was in a hole, and I was, uh, it was very dark. And the days I did go, it certainly didn't ever take my grief away. I never want people to think it's going to do that. But it, it again, it empowered me. I always say that I feel like everyone has a fire inside of them, and if you can do something to stoke that fire in your life, it will burn. And you can build on that, and you can make your fire stronger. But if you let it smolder and diminish, it's harder to get it going again. Mm.
1: so you were um, there. I guess we could call it an accident of timing that you were I get the impression returning to fitness in your life when your husband died would that be correct that you had at times yeah. in your life had that yeah, I
2: mean I, I think I had worked out at other times in my life but nothing to the extent that I got into after he passed um, you know it was more just out of a feeling of obligation, you know, post-high school when you do sports and all of that. After that, it just felt like, well, if I want to maintain my weight and I want to look good, then I'll go exercise. And it was, a, it was always dread. It was always, I have to do this, not that I get to do this. And uh, that was a big change and a big switch for me with his loss. I finally saw how good it made me feel. I finally saw how lucky I was to be, uh, you know, 36 and able to move and do the things that I do. Um, certainly, I'm, I'll be 45 on Friday, so I'm older now, and I still make that connection. I go in the gym, and, or I go wherever, and it's my hour for me. It's not for my four kids. It's not for my husband, Keith. It's not for my business or my nonprofit. It's all for me, and I love that time. And I think when people start to make that connection to the power in their own life and how how good it can make them feel, that's when the game changes for them.
1: Do you think that would have been harder to come by had you not just previously, you know, eight weeks of, uh, I know from having started and stopped many (laughs) (laughs) relationships to to movement, that um, the hardest thing in in my book is starting up again. Yes. Uh, And, and you had done that part already. Um yes. ha- Have you found it harder for people uh, who weren't already doing something when they've experienced a loss? Or um, is it just that some people immediately know they need that? What, what's your experience in terms of other people? You work yeah, with. I mean,
2: I do. I see so many people with One Fit Widow who will tell me, I just can't, Michelle, I can't get out of bed. And I try and scale it for people. You know, you don't have to start the way I started. It, you know, life is not about comparing journeys. This is your own journey. And you need to If you you can just get up and take a walk, that's where I try and start people, you know, go outside, because that can be really difficult when you're grieving, just putting on your shoes and walking out the front door. But if you can get outside, it's preferably in nature, preferably in the sunshine, and just 10 minutes. And then at the end of 10 minutes, tell me or write down somewhere how you feel legitimately. Do you feel just slightly more optimistic or better or lighter or um, like you have more peace? and build on it. The next day, do 11 minutes. And again, write down how you feel after. Because I think we go through life in a day's, and this isn't just gr- grieving people. This is everyone. We go through life in a day's, and we don't notice the things that affect us on a day-in and day-out basis. How does exercise make me feel? How does the food I'm putting in my body make me feel? How does this stressful situation or my job make me feel? Instead of taking the time to take note that everything we do makes us uh, have a, an energetic reaction in a positive or negative way and how can we go more in the direction of the positive
1: that's powerful I, I want before we get uh, through our first um, segment here I'd, I'd like people to be able to hear the voice of your book your writing voice a little bit would you share the the part of your book um, about uh, I, I would say just as a, a message, to your readers about how you, you understand, you know, where you're coming from as a person who has grieved.
2: Sure. Uh, the first, from the message to the reader, you are not alone. I understand that in many ways you probably feel completely on your own because grief is isolating and the path forward is daunting. Validating those feelings will be part of your healing journey, which starts right now. You've picked up this book, and with that single purchase, you've joined a community of people seeking a positive path forward and a chance to live their best life after loss. While no two grief journeys are ever the same, just knowing you're a part of a community will help you survive this time in your life and take active, positive steps forward. I, too, have lived in the shadow of loss, and I know the pain, the exhaustion, and the loneliness that accompanies life beyond the death of someone you imagine you couldn't live without. I also know that grief is a very personal experience, one that is unique to each griever as their fingerprint. There is no rule book, no set of guidelines, and no time frame for the grief journey. Loss does not discriminate based on any outside factors, not age, happiness, or health. Loss is universal, the great common denominator. It can certainly come from death, which, as you'll soon discover, was the root of my personal grief story, But through my years working with clients and in founding the One Fit Widow community, I've learned that loss comes in many other forms as well. And while this book is primarily about loss from death, I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge other forms of loss. There is the personal loss of being consumed by a busy life, wondering, um, I apologize, I've kind of lost my spot here. Um, (laughs) Wondering 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 if if you still still matter. Struggling to find yourself (laughs) amid your day-to-day tasks. There's also the loss of identity, which can occur in the aftermath of a major life event, such as divorce or a job loss. As a child, my father often reminded me that nothing is easy, not for me or any other person who walks this earth. Every time I struggled or failed, my father told me, Michelle, life is difficult. That phrase came from M. Scott Peck's The Road Less Traveled. Mr. Peck brilliantly, brilliantly tells us that this is the great truth, one of the greatest truths. It is a great truth because once we see this truth, we transcend, transcend it. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly know and accept it, then life is no longer difficult because once it is accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. I'd like you to remember the universal, universality of difficult times while you read this book. I want you to remember the challenges that challenges are not unique to you and that suffering is part of the human condition you are not alone
1: that was so interesting where that happened for you it was right at the part that was about losing ourselves (laughs) life is funny that way I, i love being reminded about m scott peck of course i read that you know decades and decades ago and um it is helpful to accept that fact to not think somehow that and of course I I believe grief potentially does teach us that, teaches us that um, life just has difficulties and Uh that it's not about getting out of those. Um, So I I appreciate uh, that reminder. Well, we're going to go to our first break. And uh, listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And you can find links to my website, my email, and all the rest. And to find Michelle, you can go to OneFitWidow.com. Be back soon.
3: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reish, In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams listen every thursday afternoon at 6 p.m eastern time and 3 p.m pacific time on the voice america health and wellness channel
4: there is a difference in health and wellness programs there can be mainstream programs and then there is something extra that something extra is called tips to keep you healthy happy and motivated with your host kristen harper We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up?
3: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
0: You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones.
4: Welcome
1: back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Michelle Steinke Baumgard about the loss of her husband and the book she wrote about uh, the healthy, uh, the, the use of exercise and, and nutrition and endorphins uh, in the direction of healthy healing through grief. And during the break, Michelle, um, I was talking about how hard I find it sometimes to get the people who've come to me to talk about grief to to, uh, to move basically and yeah. um, so the people that come to you you said even I mean they've actively come, pursued you and it's yeah. clear what you do but you said that, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you said sometimes they'll come back a few years later and say they they hated you yeah. Uh, <laughs> So I would like to hear more about that, <laughs> because that's that's such a paradox, isn't it, that we sort of, I mean, I'm sure the same could be said by some of my clients, you know, uh, who I, I, I'm i trying to confront issues and all that, but how does that, when people have come to to you to, for you to help them get uh, fit and active, uh,
2: how does that show itself, that sort of hating you thing, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's the nature of social media these days. You know, I ha- I think people share my work, my especially my writing on grief, which doesn't have necessarily a huge fitness Overtone to it all the time, and so somebody will start to follow my words, and they'll follow me for a few weeks. And, and I inevitably always talk about fitness because that's the underlying part of what I do. And um, I will get a lot of, of emails and uh, comments on social media, and a lot of an attitude of, "I can't believe you think." Me getting on a treadmill is going to fix my grief. And, and I'm quick to let them know I don't think anything's going to fix your grief. I think it's going to give you a tool in your grief toolbox that is going to empower you and help you and move you forward. And I will you know, usually get a, that's ridiculous, you're ridiculous, <laughs> slamming up the door. And I've learned in the last several years doing what I do and having a, a fairly good-sized audience that I just need to let those people go, or let those people be, because they're in a place where they can't, they're not ready to accept what I'm saying to them, and inevitably, I get a lot of those people who circle back to me when they're ready, and they say, you know what, Michelle, you were right, I've, I've started a CrossFit program, or I've started working out at my local gym, or some of the people end up joining my program, or whatever it is, and they say, you know what, you're right. It makes a huge difference to my life, not necessarily to my grief, but just to my overall life as I, you know, take steps to find a new normal and start to move, move forward. So I'm, I'm always very glad for them that they've found that and that they can build on it.
1: Well, I guess the other thing is that timing is not everything, but nearly everything. That Mm -hmm. what people are ready (laughs) ready to do at different times uh, is can't be. It's usually a failure if you push too hard on it. So that might be part of what you're describing too. That they're just ready later for that.
2: um, Yeah, and you can never know when people are ready, right? I mean, everybody grieves so differently that I hiked recently a couple weeks ago with a woman in Phoenix who had just. Lost her husband and she, she came to a regional hike we were doing and she said, I found you on Instagram and I was so happy because everything you write is how I feel. And she was literally within six weeks of losing her husband. Now that's rare for me to get someone who's that new to the process because I, I write all the time about living a big life after loss and finding your own happiness and, and finding you. And, and that's big for someone so fresh out of, you know, uh, their loss. But everybody handles these things at different times and some people it's 10 years some people it's 5 weeks I I wanted to um,
1: ask you a little bit you know I was comparing my circumstance I suppose where uh, you know long 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 illness um, and I realized that the moment where the world crashed for me was at diagnosis
2: hmm
1: uh, it wasn't um my world didn't crash when she died. I had changed so much by then, my world slowed down, and I grieved of course sure but i didn't i didn't kind of have to re uh resort everything if you will do you right. think do you think that uh, but but I can only speak for myself there of course, do you think that it does make a difference people who've experienced a kind of um, sudden uh, catastro- catastrophe versus people who've um, been trying to cope with the sort of ongoing grief of illness?
2: Right. You know, I, I think it's really hard to say. Um I know so many people in the grief world uh, that have both had the instantaneous loss, like me, and long-drawn-out illness. Uh, One of my best friends lost her husband through cancer, and, you know, long. And, and um, you know, I think it's very individual, and I think there's different... there's different losses, as Christina Rasmussen from Second First calls them secondary losses. I think there's some kind of different losses and secondary losses that we go through depending on how we lost our person. Um, so I, I don't necessarily think, you know, oh, gosh, it's they're both just such a process, and it's just a little different, uh, I think, depending on how you came to it.
1: That might be a good, good moment. I, I liked that you spent time right at the beginning talking some about grief to really clarify, uh, d- to to really make it clear you weren't saying, if you read this book, grief will disappear, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> that you were really saying, yes, you're going to have grief and you can have this too, and maybe the two uh-huh. can help each other. Um, yeah. So I wonder if you could share a little bit from the myths of grief um, chapter, because I, I find it so helpful um, to to have a clear description of the things people are going to hear that aren't true. Right. And I yeah. thought you get, did a good job of that. So would you share so some of that? Well, that was an
2: important chapter to me, especially since my book was named Healthy Healing. I said to my publisher, it's very important to me that I don't just set up this preconceived notion that you can heal from grief. Um, and I, putting these myths in, I had about 50 of them, my publisher maybe Pair it back to 10. <laughs> oh, oh <laughs> you know, darn. so many, but um, I'm, I'll share two of the myths uh, from the book. The first one that I'll share is the first year is the hardest. Um, trust me when I say very few people will have patience for your grief beyond year one. That's not to say that the first year is the hardest, but people grow tired and just want you to be okay already. Speaking personally, year two was far harder for me than year one. I really felt the loss in year two, physically, emotionally, and mentally. The shock had worn off, and I was fully aware of what I had endured. It became permanent and real as I accepted the reality I had not asked for. As I have carefully mentioned several times throughout this book, because it is so important, loss is individual, and each person has a unique process. Year one might be the worst for some, and year 10 for others. Don't judge your own path, and don't worry what others think as you make your way forward. And then one of my other favorite myths is that you're an inspiration. And we all get this. We've all had this. (laughs) Yes. Just because uh, we woke woke up the next day, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Oh, The next day because you're breathing, yes. (laughs) Um, So this was an important one to me, and I write about this actually a lot on my blog. If I had a dollar for every time I've been told that I'm so strong or that I'm an inspiration, I'd be financially set for life. This seems to be the standard go-to response from onlookers viewing your tragedy from the outside. Your circumstances can have been handed in. in inspiration that you have been handed are inspiring to them and for a brief time that may change their view on life and their status quo. I've never felt particularly strong or like an inspiration during my nearly eight years at the writing of this book since loss. Instead, I simply did what, I ha- what had to be done. I took care of my children, myself, and my personal priorities. I looked normal to the outside world and my ability to get in phenomenal shape as well as start a business and nonprofit, seemed awe-inspiring to some. But for me it was just what i knew i had to do in the wake of life changing situation people don't mean any harm by telling you that they feel inspired by your survival but ultimately they don't realize the weight those words carry and that we place that weight squarely on our shoulder shoulders as an added responsibility don't hold the weight don't take it to heart and feel like you have to carry the world on your shoulders. You don't have to be anyone's inspiration, and you don't have to be strong. It's okay to recognize your ability to, to survive under the stress of loss, but it's it's never okay to think you have to be where you're not. You're allowed seasons of weakness as the world sees nothing but strength.
1: You know, I read that, and now listening to it, I had a, a an even different um, response, which is, in some way, if uh, if you if people are looking at someone like you or like me, who have um, under the worst possible circumstances, actually instead of giving up, gotten more committed to living. Yep. Um, if if we get put in a separate category, you, me, and m- millions of other people, we could say that about. We're not unique. Um, then it's sort of then the other person is is sort of letting themselves off the hook as if there's some special quality that makes that possible when to me it's it's something we all have. the, yeah. um, the capacity to make something out of a mess, you know <laughs> make yeah. meaning or, or uh, figure out how to make life better. You know, we, we all do have that somewhere, don't you think?
2: Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I believe everybody has it. And people will tell me I don't. You're unique. You're special. And I'll say there's absolutely nothing special with me except for I believe in myself. I believe in my power to... Um, bring about change in my life. I accept responsibility for the power in my own life, and that's something I I talk and write about a lot, that we have to pick ourselves up. We have to define ourselves. We have to do the work. Nobody else can do it for us, and whether that's the work to grieve or the work to start our life new, it is work, and we have to be willing to do it. That's the only thing that defines the difference between most people who will, will take those steps and most people who won't.
1: And maybe one other thing that comes to my mind at the moment, which is that, uh, at least for me, having something so big happen mm-hmm. um, really diminished um, the importance of things like embarrassment or... Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, a whole bunch of things that used to be critically uh, important to me and held me back... Uh, for sure, and they just they didn't hold a lot of weight anymore once you live through something that's so difficult how how big is that and i I realize I'm not speaking for everybody, and I had a long time to sort that out. It didn't happen immediately, but
2: do you think that's part of it? Oh, I couldn't agree more with that as well. Um, I think so many people change I mean I've changed on the the Uh, Just immediately, overnight, I went from being um, a fairly – I'm still driven, but I went from being a very driven in a materialistic way about things of the world, my house, my car, those kinds of things, to literally it not making – a hill of beans to me at all. It didn't mean anything to me. And to this day, it doesn't. And I let go of people's perceptions of me, people's perceptions of my life, which, you know, most people who grieve go through some sort of judgment in their life, whether it's from friends or family. And I let go of all that because I really, I felt like I saw very, very clearly for the first time in my life what really mattered. And I knew what I needed to do. You know, I, I quit my corporate job within a year of Mitch's passing, and uh, people were, really thinking I had lost my mind, uh, because I was going to go be a gym trainer, but I knew what I wanted for my life and I knew what was important and it was helping people and making a difference and doing what I was passionate about. It was not about the size of my house or my car.
1: Well, I, I was, I was really enjoying one of your stories in the book that, uh, when you, um, I guess you worked in real estate yep. and, and you, uh, connected somebody with a house in some exotic location, and (laughs) they called to complain that the pool, one of those infinity pools overlooking some gorgeous place, wasn't big enough, something like that? I mean, that just had to have felt so completely ridiculous.
2: Uh, Well, it was a funny moment in my life. You know, I I had already kind of lost that passion for what I was doing for a living. And then that phone call came, and... It took everything in my power to be professional and <laughs> have a, a quality <laughs> conversation with this Being professional must be very important to you.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I and I hung up and now. I knew right then, I don't want to do this anymore. This isn't what matters in life. And I, I felt myself in a way feeling sorry for the human being that I just hung up with because I thought they have no idea what really matters in this life and how blessed am I to know it at 36 because this person was 20, 30 years my elder and here I was feeling so um, like I'd really been given this amazing gift in a horrible way, of course, but to really see how crystal clear life is um, at such a young age.
1: It's a liberation, isn't it? In a it sense, is. I mean, it's so imprisoning to, to that metaphor of being in, I have to imagine one of the most beautiful spots in the world and having your laser focus on the <laughs> size of the pool, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> that's yeah. just a metaphor for so much of what I think is going on lately.
0: I that, agree, uh, yeah
1: you know, just a a loss of connection to human um, value and and what really ends up mattering in these circumstances. So that's a pretty fast... I do find people often quit what they were doing before or do it differently. But you turned that around pretty fast considering I'm sure that was a lucrative career and, you know, it's a hard time to take a chance when the person who you've been doing it with is no longer there. So that really does stand out.
2: Yeah, no, it was. It was um, what a lot of people assumed was risky. (laughs) But I didn't see it that way. You know, I had two babies at home, and I was always on a plane traveling for work, and I didn't want to leave them. And my daughter... You know, in conjunction with this phone call at a similar time, she kind of looked at me one night and said, I don't want you to leave tomorrow because I was getting ready to go on another trip. And I just, I knew, you know, my father had always taught me that if you do what you love, the money will come. And and I was no longer concerned with the money. It, for me, it was, can I feed my kids and can I keep a roof over our heads? Everything else can go. No. <laughs> I didn't care about anything else. Um, well, let's, and so let's talk more about that
1: because um, I was so aware of economics as I was reading the book, which you addressed somewhat, but I'd like to talk about it even, even further after we get back to sure. the second break. Sure. Um, Again, listeners, go find us during the break. You can go to my website, weatheringrief.com, the Good Grief Post page. To find Michelle Steinke Baumgard and her um, book and uh, business, you can go to onefitwidow.com. Back after the break.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America.
4: Have you heard of nutritional balancing? Your body's biochemistry affects the mental, physical, and emotional aspects of your life. Many of the diseases we face are related to an imbalance of the mind, body, and spirit. Find out how to get everything back in line when you tune in to Healing Treasures of Wisdom with host Daniel Solomon. Learn how to heal yourself and your family every week. Listen Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
3: Do you find yourself caring for people in multiple generations? Are you exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed? Instead of spending hours searching for resources and information, Dr. Merrill and her guests will provide you with practical, everyday information and solutions to help make your life easier. Tune in to Caught Between Generations, Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief.
1: Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Michelle Steinke Baumgard, founder of One Fit Widow, author of Healthy Healing, uh, and um, uh, creator of a new nonprofit that we'll talk about in a minute. But um, we we were talking, Michelle, about these radical uh, kind of changes that can come after, I think, any traumatic event has that potential, but we're talking particularly about loss um, through death um, today. And it's interesting that I didn't perceive you as as particularly talking about being brave or courageous, but more just I need to do this, just certainty more yeah. than having to work up the courage.
2: Would that be yeah. fair to say? Yeah, I mean for me it didn't feel particularly brave. It just felt right. And the joy that I felt and the release of weight on my shoulders that I felt when I, when I switched what I did for a living and I let go of needing to have a title or, uh, you know, whatever that i would always carried as, as important in my life. It, it was amazing. It was, it was such a, an amazing feeling.
1: So I think that's a good moment to, to talk a little bit about your nonprofit too, because, uh, one thing that's clear to me is you're not just about eating the right things and you know having an exercise program that you're really talking about the components of wellness in people's lives, those being two. but i I get the impression that another key component in your in your um, way of looking at living, <laughs> Uh, is having dreams and um, believing you can actualize them?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for me, you know, the fitness and the nutrition are certainly kind of an entry point, and I think they're critical, and I think they're very important for everybody on this earth, not just grieving people. But the underlying message of everything I do is living your best life, and I feel like it was again, a gift that was given to me at 36. I feel like I'm going to be 45, like I said, on Friday, and I feel like I've lived more in the last eight years of my life and with intention and on purpose than I ever did the 36 before that. So if I can get people realizing that, you know, you're going to have your grief, you're going to go through your seasons, uh, you're going to carry a piece of that with you forever, but you can still live this amazing full life, and you just need to be willing to take the steps to start that. And so that's one of the reasons we started Live the List nonprofit.
1: Tell tell the listeners what you do in the uh, you know at the nonprofit.
2: Well, what we do, it, and it's kind of grown and it's continuing to grow, but our ultimate goal is to help fund dreams for the widowed. Of the world, so so often we give up on our own dreams and we go through loss because we're taking care of young children or we're we're worrying about a business and we forget that if we can fulfill the things we really wanted to do with our life, um, either with our late spouse or the person we lost, or uh, new dreams that came to us as we, you know, became a new person. Whatever it is, people I have found in the last eight years, if they can take actionable steps forward, whether it's they want to climb a mountain, whether it's I want to have family photos done without that person, uh, whatever it is that helps them take that next best step can be a catalyst to a phenomenal life because it opens up the door to seeing that there's joy in life, that there's duality, that along with your sadness you can feel this amazing happiness and joy too. Mm. So uh, the the dreams are all over the map. You know, we get people who want to climb big mountains and we get people who just want to go back to school and everything in between, and we try and help fund those for people. It, it's, uh, it intersects,
1: interestingly, with with uh, something I've been working with. Uh, I, I started thinking, actually, after the election, I thought it, started thinking about what we need to, or what I was going to need to deal with loss at that particular mm-hmm. moment. And it clarified my thinking some. So I came up with, uh, you have to have the feelings. Yeah, you, mm-hmm. you have to, you know, you can't get out of that. Yep. Place. Uh, you, you have to have ways to, to find solace, um, you it certainly helps to find inspiration, to, to be inspired in some way, and you have to take action, yes. and uh, to me, it action is often the place that people don't think will make the kind of difference that it does, you know, how... how um, how good it feels to be able to act in a situation where something is beyond your control. Mm-hmm. To be able to to really act on it and and do something, and your um, your nonprofit sounds like a um, very strong step in that direction. That even people who are in deep grief have things they want to do, you
2: know. Right. And, and so often they're financially handicapped because of what they've been through. And so we try and bridge that gap. Okay. This is, this is the thing you need in life to really serve as a catalyst to your next, you know, your next goal or, or the next thing you can do. And, and we can help financially serve you. There's just so many widow people who are struggling. So we're just trying to bridge that gap.
1: You know, I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to talk a little bit about um, finances for people. Um, that some of the things that we typically uh put in the category of health and fitness can be quite expensive, sure um organic food um gym memberships, even um uh you know people think of running as a less expensive sport, but the fact is the shoes are phenomenally expensive, and they wear out <laughs> right <laughs> you know? yeah. so do Do you have a co- ways to accommodate? because some people um are thrown into poverty by widowhood uh, mm-hmm. because they they aren't the working member of the family, for instance. or um, so how do people begin under those kind of conditions?
2: Well, again, I mean, I think accepting that, Fitness doesn't have to be a gym membership. Fitness doesn't have to be, um, it it can certainly be very, very expensive, but um, there's so much at your fingertips now with the Internet. So if you have a Wi-Fi connection and you're willing to do stuff in your own home, you can get in phenomenal shape in your own home. Uh, I know for me that's more of a struggle because I don't like to train at home. I like to be in a gym atmosphere. But one thing I've learned through fitness is that, when you do it and you put it as part of your life, as hard as that can be, it will make everything in your life start to be better. So if you're looking for a job, if you're, um, if you're you know, doing your own, you know, your own business or you have, a, you know, a job that you like but is not your favorite, th- there's just something about the energy that comes with living a fit life that makes everything start to be better and start to improve and I know that sounds trite and, <laughs> and ridiculous it's so true uh we attract that better energy when we put it out into the world so if people can start to move in their own home uh through live the list we try and help people i mean we get a lot of people we've paid for their year of gym gym membership or um we've paid for their their classes we uh through my business we always donate to our our challenges to widowed people in the community so we try to give back where we can um as far as food goes, you know I have mixed feelings on the. It's more expensive. Um, I've done so much research, and if people are willing to shop and meal plan, uh, and they don't have to buy all organic, but Whole Foods end up being cheaper at the end of the week than eating even fast food, and you're 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 helping yourself in the long run with medical bills and so many other deferred issues. Mm. So that's for another show. That's a whole hour talk in and of itself. <laughs> but I wanted but, to refer um, to it because uh, I, I think
1: do think it, it holds excuse. people
2: back. So I
1: wanted to get your thoughts on it into the show. I uh-huh. think it would be a great time for you to read your fitness prescription, the little section yeah. your, called The Fitness Prescription.
2: Well, as I was telling you, I think that certain things happened to me post-loss that really defined my life, and this was one of them, so I'll read from Chapter 3. My general physician gave me some sage advice when I visited her about eight months after my loss. I remember telling her that I felt gray, cloudy, and lost. It is called widow brain or grief brain or brain fog. But regardless of the name, the outcome is the same. It's hard to think, to process information and to make sense of the small things. This fog can be chalked up to stress, shock, anxiety and overwhelming life circumstances. The grayness was very real and frustrating. Another invisible loss seemed to be stealing my ability to function at a level I was accustomed to. This particular doctor had seen my life at all the stages. She was with me before I had children and after. She'd seen me overweight and sanitary active and healthy she knew the toll my loss had taken on me but she also knew the deep fortitude i'd call upon to work through the i'd worked to work through the loss still i felt as if i needed assistance to help get beyond the shock my body was still experiencing all those months later Often we fall back on taking a, per, a pill and hoping the pharmaceutical companies have figured out a fix so that we don't have to. Don't get me wrong, there are very real conditions that require medication, but prescriptions for widows are often antidepressant, anti, anti, anti-anxiety medications, and pain pills. While you may need one of these at some point in your journey, my goal in writing this book is to give you other options. In many cases, your body can help, it, help itself if you do what, it, what needs to be done. My brain fog was actually a sign that my body was still processing grief. The body is incredibly innate and powerful multi-system problem solver. It is designed to protect us from trauma to help us survive. The, f- the fog was a shield from painful memories. It was my body trying to help me. As I sat in my doctor's office and told her, That perhaps I needed an antidepressant, she asked, Michelle, do you have moments of the day when you feel less fog? My response was immediate and honest. Yes, but only after I exercise. She wrote a few notes on her paper and then asked another question. Do you find any exercise that um, is better to help? Again, I replied without thinking. Yes, it's always better after I run. She took a few more notes and then looked up from her paper and said something that would forever shape my world. Michelle, there is nothing better I can give you in this office than what you do for yourself in that gym every day. Endorphins are the best antidepressant on the market, and they are completely free.
1: What a wise doctor. <laughs>
2: yeah. She was amazing. You know, that's, always very that's to not really common, I know. So I don't want to ever diminish that or, um, you know, I, I'm not a physician, but she knew I didn't need them, and she was a very wise doctor.
1: I had a professor in graduate school who said I will never treat a case of imp- of depression unless the person is willing to exercise yep <laughs> she was pretty so bottom the, line I mean I, I,
2: the research I, I certainly that don't say up that putting it, it into my book but it's so oh it's so powerful people have no idea I read something of the day saying if if they could bottle if the pharmaceutical companies could bottle what the what exercise does for your body in a pill, it would be the the biggest pill ever sold in history.
1: I'm sure somebody is working on that as we speak. How to <laughs> create clone endorphins or something. I don't know. <laughs> well if we had another hour we'd talk about um, loving again after loss because I know we share that experience but we'll just have to send people in the direction of your book
2: that would be great thank you so much
1: (laughs) Uh, it's been a real pleasure Um, and I I hope um, to keep up with the work you're doing and where it goes because it's obviously on its own
2: trajectory oh thank you (laughs) it's been such a pleasure to speak with you
1: you too. You can Thank find you. Michelle Steinke Baumgard at onefitwidow.com for all all of her very her nonprofit One Fit Widow, the blog, uh, and her fitness my One Fit Life program. Next week I'll have Steve Letter. Steve's a rabbi who, after years of walking through difficult times with his congregants, found he had a lot to learn from his own most difficult time. He's the author of More Beautiful Than Before. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief.